This week, as I thought about the introduction to Revelation that we started last Sunday, I started thinking about, well, when was my first introduction to Revelation? And best as I can recall, it was in 1988, which was my senior year in high school. And I remember walking into a convenience store in Amarillo, where I grew up. The name of the convenience store is Tootin Totem. I always thought that was a funny name. So I walk in the Tootin Totem, and there it is at the checkout counter, on the counter, a stack of books that are for sale. And the title of the book is 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. I don't know if in your community growing up, if, if you were around then in 1988 and cared about what was happening in your community, if that was going on in your community, but it was a pretty popular deal. This guy named Edgar Wisnant, he wrote the book in 1988, and it made a pretty good circulation in the areas that he tried to circulate. He sold over 4.5 million copies. I suspect he made a few pennies from this. And uh, it was influential in communities. People were talking about it. Things were happening because of that. In fact, the TBN network, the TV network, TBN, they uh, altered their program because Edgar, he said, and he would stake his life on the fact that the return of Jesus would occur between September 11th and September 13th, 1988. He said, if I'm wrong on this, then the Bible is in error. That's, I mean, he was making some strong statements and 4.5 million people wanted to hear his statements. And so uh, TBN said, okay, between September 11th and 13th, so they're buying into this. We're going to alter our programming. So instead of doing our normal programming, what we're going to do is we're going to show reruns of old programming, all dealing with the rapture. So that if Jesus comes between September 11th and September 13th, and everybody's wondering where everybody went, they could look on TBN and see all the reruns about the rapture and know what's going on. I mean, so this is a big deal. And uh, it was a big deal until September 13th came and went. And so then Edgar said, well, I've made some miscalculations. And um, the new date is September 15th. This is true. I'm not making this up. September 15th comes and went. He makes a new date, October the 3rd. October 3rd comes and goes, and he says, well, it's going to be in 1989. Sets a day in 1989. It comes and goes, and he says, well, it's going to be 1990. And this continues to go on for the greater part of his life, and he obviously becomes more and more irrelevant the more he does this. But the fact is, that was my first introduction to Revelation, and it made me a little skeptical and far more disinterested than I was before, and I wasn't very interested in the first place. And then it just so happened that God calls me to be a pastor. And so now I'm supposed to preach the Word of God. And I got people coming up to me in church saying, when are you going to talk to us about Revelation? And I'm like, I'll get to it eventually. And then in my private time, I'm like, Lord, come back before I get to it. Please. I mean, I am not wanting to do this. I have no interest in it at all. And uh, I've read it. Many times I've read books about it. I can talk to you about end times perspectives and I can have conversation about it. But for the greater part of my life, I've had very little interest in Revelation. Until about four or five years ago, when through some circumstances and relationships, I began to reconsider my perspective on Revelation. And as I began to come at this book with a different perspective, I realized 
that my previous years of neglect, at whatever level and for whatever reason, I neglected some of what God intended to use Revelation for in my life and in the church's life. I began to recognize that my neglect of this book had led me to the place of failing to see Jesus as Jesus has revealed himself for the church to see now. And so over the last four years, I've been digging into this book and it has dramatically affected my life. And over the last couple years, significant effect in the way I view Jesus Christ as he is now and how that should shape my life today. And so when I tell you that I'm excited about working through Revelation, I really am because I am convinced my life will continue to be changed, our lives will be changed together, and we will be so grateful that we took the opportunity to see Jesus as he intends us to see him now. So we're gonna dig in. Revelation chapter one, here we go. Verses one through three today. Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his bondservants what must soon take place. And he made it known, and he sent it through his angel to his servant, John who testified of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps whatever has been written in it, for the time is near. I want to remind you what this first couple verses clearly communicate to us. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, given to Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ might deliver it to us through his servant John so that we might see the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is essentially the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So what we're getting from Jesus is a revelation not only from him, but about him. And so everything we're going to see in the book of Revelation, Jesus is central to whatever's going on. When we look at stuff that we don't understand, one thing we'll clearly understand at every point is that Jesus Christ is central to everything that's happening here, and he has given us this message so that we, we, we might rightly understand him. And so week after week after week, we're going to see the revelation of Jesus, from Jesus, about Jesus, so that we might be a people who respond rightly to Jesus. It's going to be fantastic. Now I want you to note that Jesus is commissioned to give his revelation about himself to his bond slaves, his bond servants. Jesus is supposed to show, again, unveil, reveal to his bond slaves this revelation about himself. Now, what in the world is a bond slave? Have you ever thought about what it would be like to grow up in Jesus' family? Sometimes it's easy to forget that Jesus actually grew up as a part of a family. The Bible tells us that there were at least five boys and two girls in the family. So this is a large family. All the dynamics that go with having a large family are multiple siblings. 
And the Bible does give us indication of some of Jesus' brothers and sisters. One of his brothers is named James. He's right next in line after Jesus. So Jesus is the oldest, and then James, and then several of the brothers and sisters. And I've always, I've kind of wondered, what would it be like to be James and have Jesus as your big brother? I mean, wouldn't that be weird? I, I thought sometimes, what would it have been like for James to go to his mom, Mary, and voice complaints about Jesus? Mom, it's not fair. I've never seen you ground him, not one time. You've never told him he was wrong. He's always right. Everything goes his way, and I can't stand it. It's just not fair. I mean, can you imagine that happening? Certainly some of you down here can imagine some of that happening. I mean, when you got siblings, there's those issues that come in. Now, we don't know what it was really like, but I just want to think about what was it really like to be in that family? Did they ever hear things like, he's breathing my air. He won't stop touching me. I mean, what, what kinds of things were being said? I wonder if James ever bugged Jesus to the point that Jesus couldn't stand it anymore. And Jesus turned over to his brother, his little brother, bugging him to death, says, if you don't stop bugging me, I'm going to call fire down from heaven and incinerate you. <laughs> I mean, we don't know anything of what happened there, but the fact is, I think it's really important to consider that Jesus is a part of a family and he had siblings. And the reason I think it's important to consider is because the Bible shows us that. James was next in line in terms of the family. Well, Jesus leaves home and goes to do his ministry. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? I'm leaving and I'm going to go out and I'm going to begin to preach and tell people that the kingdom of God has come because this is what my father, God, has called me to do and I'm leaving home to do it. Well, Joseph was dead by this time. Jesus was responsible for the family, and Jesus is now checking out on the family, and it's left to James. And Jesus leaves. Matthew gives us some insight onto maybe the, the difficulty that was for his family, because Jesus, one time when he was doing ministry and surrounded by people and amazing things are happening, Jesus' mom and, and his family come to where he is, and they try to get into him and, and, and talk to him. And I've often wondered, did they want to get in to talk to him to say, Jesus, what's going on? Come back home. We don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. Whatever the reason was that they came, Jesus, when he hears that they're there, says to the crowd, and this is the response that trickles back to his family. My family are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Can you imagine that word trickling back through the crowd and reaching your ears as a family member? You would feel like Jesus just disowned you. And clearly, Jesus is implying that his family were not on board with who he was claiming to be and what he was doing. James and the rest of the family probably just are observers at this point, watching Jesus' life rise to the point of stardom where everybody wants to be around him. He walks into a town and people flock to him, crazy support for who he is and what he's doing, and then it all crashes and ends with Jesus being crucified on a cross in the worst of scenarios for the most terrible of criminals. I wonder if anybody walked up to James and said, 
What happened to your brother, man? He went off the deep end. I don't know what happened. I can't believe he ended up getting crucified. He probably was ashamed, embarrassed, angry. There's no telling what all he felt. And then Jesus rose again from the dead. And the Bible says that Jesus appeared to James, his brother. Can you imagine that moment? All of a sudden, everything makes sense. And you, for the first time, it all clicks. And it's like, whoa, he really is the savior of the world. He's everything he said he was. He overcame death. He is everything we've hoped for. He's not my brother. He is the Son of God and the King Most High. He is Lord and Savior. Can you imagine when James ran home and told his family, you're never going to believe it, Jesus is alive. He is not just the big brother we all couldn't stand. He's the Savior that's come to rescue us and we can believe in him. He rose from the dead. Can you imagine the excitement and the thrill that he had? You know, James wrote a letter in the New Testament You know how he starts out his letter in the New Testament? He says, James, the bondslave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James no longer looked at Jesus as his big brother. No, he believed that Jesus was the Son of God and now Lord over his life. James stopped treating Jesus like a brother and followed Jesus the rest of his life, willing to stand on the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who lived, died, rose again for our sins. We need to trust him and follow him. You know how much he believed that about Jesus? So much so that he was willing to stand in the face of death, and he died because he believed Jesus Christ was the Lord of all. That is what it means to be a bond slave. You make a shift from treating Jesus like a brother. Hey, I'd like you to be around when it's fun to be around you, but as soon as you start getting into my business and messing with my life, I'm gonna go on and do something else and kind of leave you alongside there. No, we need to shift from treating Jesus like a brother and living alongside him as if we can tell him what we like and don't like about what he does with our lives. And we need to make the decision that James made. He's not to be treated like a brother. He is Lord over my life, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who grants me life as I place myself under him. I will surrender who I am to all that he is, and I will follow him the rest of my life. He owns me. He bought me. He purchased me, and I I belong to him. We've got to make that shift from treating Jesus like some brother to surrendering to him as Lord. Did you know that when you walked into this place, every single one of us, when we walked into this place, we, in and of ourselves, are in slavery. We have a master. Apart from Jesus Christ, every single person in this room has a master, and the master over us, the slavery that we're held into, is slavery to sin and slavery to death. There's not a person in this room that has escaped sinning in their own lives, doing something that they know they shouldn't have done, doing something that they really regret, making mistakes, lying, stealing, cheating, whatever it is. We have all sinned, and for that reason, we are all in slavery to sin. We cannot escape it. And the result of sin is death. 
so that everybody in this room will not be able to escape death. We are all going to die because we are all in slavery to sin, which means we are mastered by sin and death. Whether we believe it, whether we understand it, whether we accept it, the truth is no one on their own accord can escape slavery to sin and death. We have a master. But God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, never sin, to give his life on the cross for our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to rise again from the dead, overcoming sin and death so that he can offer then to anyone who believes in him the forgiveness of sins and freedom from the slavery to sin and the gift of eternal life so that when we die as followers of Christ, we don't taste death, we simply pass from this life to the next so that when we trust in Jesus Christ, we have a new master. His name is Jesus. He owns our life, and in his good ownership of our lives, he replaces sin and death with forgiveness and eternal life. But you don't get that until you trust him with your life. Bond slave. And, and, and the scripture here says... That Jesus reserves the revelation of himself to his bond slaves. If you want to see Jesus Christ each and every week as we open revelation, you've got to answer the question, is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he Lord of your life? If you will answer that question each and every week, do you know that there's a blessing in store for you? It's right here in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads. And the implication, the setting here of this description is a setting very much like we're in right now. Someone who reads to those who are listening, gives explanation of revelation, reads it out loud. There's a blessing for that person. I'm claiming that every week, especially when we get to the hard passages. So there's a blessing in here. There's gladness in my soul, in my heart by sharing with you revelation because I am coming before you to see the person of Christ have my own life change them standing before you reading the very words that have changed my life before I've got on this stage and I'm going to have gladness in my heart to share with you the truth of revelation and you're going to have gladness in your heart when you come here and you you gravitate towards what is being revealed here. And you say, I want to line myself up with what's being said about Jesus Christ right here. I want to hear the words and I want to keep the words of revelation. There's a blessing here. If you will see Christ unveiled in revelation and respond by keeping what it is he says that his lordship over you means. See, this time is not supposed to be simply a time where you come and hear about revelation. It's interesting, no doubt. We're going to talk about some crazy and weird stuff along the way that you'll probably want to write down and say, I cannot believe this. This is nuts. And you're going to go to work and you tell somebody, you're not going to believe what I heard at church yesterday. And you're going to convey the information. We're gonna, listen, we, as good as the information about revelation may be at any given moment, the information is only as good as how you respond to seeing Jesus and allow him to change your life. You have to keep what you hear or it is of no benefit 
at all. The blessing is reserved for bond slaves who hear and keep what he says. So our goal when we come into this place every single Sunday is not just to hear the information. Our goal is to see Jesus and allow him to change our lives and leave this place keeping the word of Christ that he has laid on our heart as a clear directive for our lives. So here's what I want you to do every week. If you don't bring paper and you're not comfortable using your phone or whatever to take notes, the worship guide has a section you can take notes in every Sunday. So I want you to come in every Sunday. I want you to come in with the intent of taking notes. But I want to tell you what kind of notes I want you to take. Like I don't want you to write down, check out the book, 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Happen in 88. That was a cool story he told. I don't want you to write down information. I don't care if you can reproduce my outline. What I care about, what I want you to do when you come in here, is to write down the thing that God lays on your heart that describes how you need to respond to having seen Him. So today, you might write down, the Lord needs to be my master. And I need to be his bond slave. And right now in my life, I'm not acting like a bond slave of Jesus Christ at work. I've been lying to my boss about the time that I'm working. I've been mistreating my coworker and getting a lot of joy out of it. And that's not really like a bond slave of Jesus would act. Lord, I want you to change my life. You get the idea? That's what I want you to try to do every week. Respond, and then take that and show it to a friend and say, I want you to see what God's doing in my life. Because the, the implication is that I'm reading Revelation, giving explanation of Revelation, you all are hearing it and together making decisions to keep it. This is not meant to be just this personal, then you could just read it at home and never come to a setting like this. No, the encouragement here is that we would hear it read together by someone explained and then that we would say, yes, we see Jesus and we want to respond together. And so you just share what the Lord's doing in your life with somebody else. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to encourage you. Now that's not easy. I know. Because the moment you walk up to somebody and say, hey, would you look what I wrote down today about what Jesus is doing in my life? And they read, I'm lying to my boss and I'm Oh, you are seriously messed up. Yeah, I'll be praying for you. Because if you don't get this right, you're going to get fired. And then you might come and ask me for money. So I'm definitely praying for you. You know, I, that, that scenario is not an easy scenario where you go up and tell somebody what's really going on in your life, right? That's hard. I do my grocery shopping at... Um, the grocery store over on Williams is getting renovation done. <laughs> I was there a week ago and I thought to myself, I may never come back here again. It was terrible. I mean, it was really awful. And, but but it's, here's the deal, I'll go back there again. You know why? Because they've got signs up everywhere that say something to the effect of, please excuse my mess. Have you seen those signs? Places like that, they're under renovation. 
And what those signs are conveying to us is that, hey, we are working on something, and we know it's an inconvenience to you right now, but something better is coming. Hang around, see the transformation, you'll be glad you did. Just hang in there, overlook what's happening right now, knowing that we're under construction, and there's a really good reason for it, and when the project is done, you'll be glad you hung in there. Next Sunday morning, when you walk into this place, I want you to imagine that everybody that walks in here has a name tag on. And mine would say, hello, my name is Kevin. Please excuse my mess. Because here's the thing. I'm under construction. If, if I'm supposed to keep what Jesus says, then it stands to reason there's some areas in my life I'm not keeping it. And he's going to show me some things, and all of a sudden, I'm going to recognize there is a mess in my life right now, and I need my Lord to keep working on me. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to come into this building and have to greet you and talk to you and try to hide a corner of my heart where there is a mess going on that Jesus is working on cleaning up and acting like I'm just fine. I don't want to be in a church like that. I don't want to be living a life like that. I want to come into this place and be able to say, Jesus Christ is showing me who he is. And when I see who he is, I recognize some messes in my life that he needs to work on. And because I'm his bond slave and he is my good master, he has placed me under construction. And so please excuse my mess. It's just where I am. But if you hang in there with me long enough, you're going to see evidence of transformation and you're going to be glad you hung around because you're going to see the goodness of God working in the midst of my mess and that's just who he is and that's just where I am I want to be a part of a church like that don't you this last Monday David Griffin and I one of our pastors here we were at a meeting on Monday night at another church in Dallas we went up there because we wanted to experience a ministry there that we are entertaining bringing here to our church um, the first of next year. So we wanted to go and we wanted to experience it. So we were waiting to go into the worship center to experience some praise and worship and stuff that, that kind of is a part of that ministry. And, and we're waiting and a, and a friend of mine walks in the door. I hadn't seen him in years. And he walks in the door. I was like, no way. I cannot believe it. And I walked up to him. And you have to know something about our history, but I walked up to him and tried to do the weirdest thing I could to let him know I was there. So I just stood there in front of all his friends and he wasn't paying attention to me. I just was staring at him like this and, he, and one of his friends goes uh some dude's staring at you really weird like and he saw me and his jaw just dropped and he jumped up and he hugged me and we just embraced we went into the worship center we did worship together and it was the greatest encouragement I loved it and I want to tell you why it was so encouraging because right before God brought us here he called me on the phone and this is, a, this is a man that I have invested my life in. He was, as a college student, a part of our family. We had him in our home all the time. He played with our kids when they were little. We invested so, we love him. And he called me and he said, Kevin, he just starts crying. He says, Kevin, my life has fallen apart. I've wrecked it. I've departed from following the Lord. I brought all kinds of brokenness into my life. I've completely ravaged everything. I'm losing my marriage. I may lose my kids. My life is over. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? It just broke my heart. He says, here's my mess. 
And I said to him, I said, You're not, you may not like what I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you what this means for you. You're at a crossroads. You want your life back. But you may never rescue it. But here's the thing. Even if you can't fix what you've broken, if you'll decide to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of your life again, he'll give you life in the midst of the brokenness. I said, do you want your marriage back? He says, you better believe I do. I'll do anything. I said, well, are you willing to follow Jesus Christ if you don't get your marriage back? I don't know. I said, well, you've got to decide that Jesus is Lord of your life no matter what happens this point forward. So we had this conversation week after week after week, and little by little, he began to say, I want to be a bond slave of Christ. I know there's no life except in Christ. He is my good master, and he can orient my life again. And he began to trust the Lord. He got plugged into this ministry. He went to visit. He's been involved in this small group for over a year. When I saw him Monday night, I saw on his face the countenance of joy and peace and hope. And I'm here to tell you, his marriage has not been put back together. His life is still experiencing the consequences of the brokenness. But he knows Jesus Christ is Lord, and he has found life again. And I was so blessed by that. I went from that experience with him into a small group experience with about 18 other guys, and we sat there, and here was what we did. Now, all these guys are digging into God's word, and they're allowing God and his word to align their hearts and their beliefs and their thoughts with Jesus Christ so that they are saying, I want you to be Lord of my life, which means I need to change what I think, I need to change what I believe, I need to change what I do to be rightly aligned with who you are. So they're working through all that, and then in the group setting, they sat there, and each guy would say, essentially, Please excuse my mess. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I am really hurting. So it starts on one side of the circle, and it's making a way, its way around to me. Well, I'm a participant. I've got to make a decision. What am I really going to say to them? Well, I'm going to say to them what really is going on. I just said, my name's Kevin. I need you to excuse my mess. And I described the mess that the Lord's working on in my heart right now. Would you guys pray for me? It was so good to be sitting around a circle with other men who want to follow Christ as Lord and are willing to share their mess. There's not a Sunday that you come in here that you should not assume that everybody in this room has a name tag on that says... Please excuse my mess. The bond slaves of Jesus Christ know that their good master is faithful about working on reconstructing their lives. That's the path of a bond slave. I want you to notice here the last phrase in verse 3. The time is near. That little last phrase is repeated. It's, a, it's an echo from what happened in verse 1. It's going to be repeated again in, in several times through, through Revelation. It's meant to be an encouragement to us to live right now in view of Jesus Christ and how he will be when he returns. Victorious 
King of kings, Lord of lords, bringing judgment so that he makes all things that are wrong right. And we need to live today like that moment is right now. That's the encouragement. And so I want you to think about that phrase in two ways. I want you to think about it like God views time. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, God gives us some indication of how he views time. He says, a thousand years is like one day, and one day is like a thousand years to the Lord. So he says, don't worry about the fact that it seems like it's taking longer than usual, longer than you think it should, or longer than you want it to. No, just recognize that to God, we're barely into day three. And the reason he's delaying in day three is so that we might know him and help others to follow him. His delay is purposeful, but don't mistake it to be a long delay because from God's vantage point, he's coming on day three. Maybe it'll be day four, but he's coming and it is near. The second way I want you to think about it is like a parent thinks of children. So when we were younger parents and had our kids um, in the, the toddler and crawling stages. You know, when you're completely overwhelmed, you're, you're in sleep debt, you're in financial debt because of diapers. I mean, you know those times and you can't even see straight. You, you don't even know what you think about the world and it's just difficult. We would have older couples whose kids were out of school, college, or married, kind of like we are now. We would have older couples come to us and say these words, phrases like this. It's going to be over before you know it. You're going to blink and it's going to be gone. It's going to be here and gone like that. And I, and I would think in my mind, if only the Lord would be so kind <laughs> as to move us out of this stage like that, we would be so thankful. Oh God, would you do that, please? And, and in some ways, I would be deeply offended at these people. I'd be like, if you, if you really knew what I felt right now, you'd be volunteering to babysit for us. This is terrible. This is prolonging to eternity right now for us. And I just felt like, how insensitive of you to come up and say, it's going to fly by like that. Jerk, you know, I mean, it just really made me mad. But now I'm on this side of the fence, right? And so I find myself saying to younger couples, it's going to fly by. It's just going to be a, I'm a hypocrite, you know. Please excuse my mess. So, so this is what I've realized. The people who did that to us when we were younger had really good intentions. You know what they wanted me to realize and Lindley to realize? That it really is going to fly by. You may not feel like it right now. Your circumstances may be so overwhelming, you can't see the end of it right now. But please, even though you don't feel like it, live like it. Cherish every moment. And here we are on this side, and we're saying the same things to younger couples. Cherish every moment. That's how God wants us to live. In light of his coming, you may not feel like it. Your circumstances may not seem like it. It may feel like it's tearing. When is he going to come back? It may seem like things are getting terrible around here. But listen, he is coming. And he wants us not to waste one single moment to make the most of every opportunity to live as bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Because his coming is near. When people live like Jesus is going to return, 
now. When, when we live that way, the greatest description of who we are is the word bond slave. Bond slaves live like Jesus coming back because Jesus said he was and that we ought to live that way. And it's to bond slaves that Jesus has promised the blessing of seeing Jesus Christ. I can make you this promise. I'm not going to write a book, 17 Reasons Why Jesus Returned in 2017. <laughs> not going to do it. But I will again and again and again ask you this question. Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life? 